Hi everyone, welcome back to this with Debbie. So today we are going to talk about women's mental health and we have two special guests. We have a mental health nurse and um, a teacher who has a background in social work and also with working with people and supporting them with their mental health. Um, so this is going to be the first podcast session that's going to be available on Apple and Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So if you go on these two different platforms and you type it just with Debbie, the podcast, you should have it and you can listen to it without having to you know, go on YouTube and you can listen and do different things at the same time. So that's the perfect platform. In case you want to see our faces, YouTube is your platform. So those of you who are new, welcome to my channel. It's lovely to see you here. Subscribe and be part of the Just with Debbie community. And so let's start with this topic. Okay, so um, first of all, welcome to the Just with Debbie. Um, so the topic is women's mental health. And before we start with the questions, I would like a bit of introduction. So you can say your name and then how it relates to the topic, like how your job relates to the topic. My name is Comfort Kremi. I'm a registered mental health nurse. I've been working in, in mental health for quite a few num um, years. And it's a passionate of mine, apart from professionally, personally, it's a passionate of mine. That's why I think um, it drives me to do what I do. And hopefully I'll be able to share something or share knowledge to help with in terms of women's mental health, which I think is very, very important to all societies, including the, the community that we belong to. Okay. Okay. So it's similar to comfort. Um, in terms of the passion, uh, women's mental health and generally women's well-being, um, as a whole is something that I'm quite passionate about. I have a degree in social work, um, which did touch on mental health, um, in some aspects. But for me, um, the passion came from most of my placements that I did on the course. I found myself working with um women that had been abused, um, through domestic violence, and then, um, other working with women that were street sex workers as well so I did a lot of work with women and that's where the passion kind of came from currently I'm actually not um working as a social worker I'm actually a teacher okay. so, <laughs> so I went um, education I started off as a student support assistant um where I was working with um um students and then supporting them in the classroom and stuff from there I then went on to do behavior mentoring which was specifically for female students so um that's where I was able to utilize my my background knowledge and skills really and I think it's there that I became more aware of um the mental health issues that um face as obviously females um obviously I had some knowledge from my placements in uni but um it was there I was able to utilize it and obviously I'm working as a teacher now but um I'm able to speak on a subject because it's a passion and because I've done some work in that field before. 
Okay. So I want to start with a definition. When it comes to a woman, what do you define as a woman? Because I think every person has a different kind of definition. Okay. What is a woman? Oh, God. Um, I think <laughs> at the moment in the 21st century, um, there's so many terminology and nuances about what's a female, what's a male, what's a woman, what's a man, what's a man's role, what's a woman's role. And it can get very, very complicated and complex. Um, but from my understanding, from a professional perspective, a woman is um, it's a socialized role where a female, a biologically born female, goes on to be socialized in that role in terms of being a woman. So there are certain features of a woman physically that when you see it, they'll be like, this is a woman. Um, and then there are certain roles and certain behaviors, certain approaches to life and things that we are socialized to exhibit as women, as young women or as young girls that we, we, we walk in that role. And at the moment in the 21st century, I'm very much aware of the fact that we have, it's now become a spectrum of we've got transgender, we've got um, people who identify as different sexes, people who don't even identify as um, women. Um, so that's another topic for another day. But my understanding <laughs> at the moment is, you know, a biologically born female who is socialized in that context to operate in that um, female woman role is a woman. I think yeah, just as Comfort said, it's um, it's the being biologically biologically born as you know a female. I think that is a woman. I think that's the only way I can really <laughs> describe <laughs> a woman. And <laughs> someone who yeah. is biologically born as a female, yeah, to me that is what I would say a woman is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, what would you say um, the difference between society's definition of woman and the Bible's definition? Like, what's the difference? between the two i think um with um the woman that society is uh, um is expecting is obviously in accordance to what the what society deems as acceptable for women i know that there's a lot of things that women are if we look at gender roles there's a lot of things that you know are expected of women in that sense um if we're looking at the tra- traditional woman you know cook clean um dress nice <laughs> be appealing to men etc so there's a lot of things that i think society expects women if we look at traditional gender roles but i think the biblical woman is somebody who is just walking in accordance to god's purpose for their life and walking in accordance to god's will for their life and we all have individual purposes and we all have individual wills so i can't really say that um th- there's a set way a, bib- a woman should be if that makes sense according to biblical standards um i just think it's accordance to what god has willed for your life um as compared to society's way which is you must fit this you know this this spectrum or you must fit this particular um way or be this particular way sorry um so when it comes to mental health um what do you guys think are the main things that affect women's mental health okay so at the start, I said that women are socialized to, to operate in a certain role. And just to add to what um, Sherita said about the difference between biblical women and um, the worldly women or secular women, one thing that we need to remember is that society's definition of a woman or the, their understanding of a woman is constantly changing. Mm. You know, it's now become a spectrum. So the role is constantly changing. It's culturally changing all the time there was a time when women 
had to wear, I don't know, specific skirts. Mm. If you didn't wear specific skirts, you're no woman. And now you can wear skirts, trousers, shorts, you name it. Okay, mm-hmm. so their definition of a woman is constantly changing. And biblically, a woman's in God's eyes, he created you and he's brought you here for a purpose and that doesn't change. And we need to remember that God's view and God's purpose for our life doesn't change. And as a woman, if if God changed his mind all the time about why he called us, then we'll be all over the place. We will not have a stability in our life. That will be, you know, it will be a mayhem. So in terms of our mental health as women, society is constantly socializing us and it's constantly, you know, telling us what to do, how to operate, um, how to present ourselves. Mm. And that has an effect on you as a human being. If we put our Christianity aside as human beings, um, we have needs, desires, passion, goals and things. And if society is constantly telling you, no, you have to do things a certain way, mm. it causes you to sometimes doubt yourself. Um, and at the moment, the 21st century is all about money making. Let's not lie. Like, it's about capitalism. So anything that a person can do for you to part with your money, they will do it. And when it comes to women, anything they can do to, for example, cause you to have um, doubt in your self-esteem, um, self-confidence, your goals, your passion, they will do it and get you to part with money to think that, oh, this will fix it. So we are constantly being bombarded with these feelings of inadequacy. That's one thing. Another thing is that culturally or socially, we are constantly being bombarded with um, biological issues where a woman has to have their kids by the age of this. A woman has to have their kids by the age of that. A woman has to be married by the age of this. If you're not in a relationship by the age of that, you're gone. Um, So biologically, we are being pressured. Um, yeah. socially we're yeah. being pressured financially we're being pressured um, and then there's that personal perspective whereby um, self-esteem wise if you haven't been brought up to have a positive opinion of who you are you start putting your own pressure on yourself personally where you start thinking oh I need to hurry up and do this I need to do this do that do that so you start putting pressure on yourself and you lose your providential way in Christ because you're constantly chasing the wind and that's part of the problem that we see at the moment in society with women. So we end up with a lot of mental health issues, which we'll go on to talk about um, later on. Yeah, I think, like Comfort said, um, a big one that she mentioned was self-esteem. That's something that I've seen a lot over the years. Like, um, there's been a massive rise in the amount of you know self-esteem issues that we're having now, which is obviously leading to anxiety, leading to depression as well. And I think it's all because of the way society's view of women, like um, Convo said, is constantly changing. And when we look at appearance, appearance has become a big thing. And I think, um, yeah, it's causing a lot of issues when it comes to self-esteem and how how we feel about ourselves. So, like Comfort mentioned, I think if you're not if you're not getting um, if you're not really getting that sort of assurance from home, or you're not really um, assured in the word of God and what it says and that kind of thing, it can really affect 
um, your confidence and, and, and it ha yeah, it, it just has a massive effect on how you feel about yourself. And then obviously you're looking at society and what they're presenting to you and it's mm -hmm. conflicting. It's just so conflicting. Yeah. So for me, I've seen a lot of issues to do with self-esteem and how people feel about themselves. And, and that is just a, a role and effect that leads on to other things as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Compost was saying how women are always under pressure. Um, why do you guys think that is the case for us women. Do you know what? Women do all in it. <laughs> we do all. <laughs> I think all since <laughs> time in memorial, women have been, since time in memorial, it's been quite, wherever you go, there's most often in a lot of cultures and in a lot of societies, it's been a patriarchal roles, patriarchal societies, patriarchal cultures. That's been time immemorial, you know. Even in the Bible, Adam was created before Eve. So that that sends the message that, you know, he came first. And when God created Adam and Eve, he gave each one a specific role. And he said that um, a, a woman should love her husband. The husband should, the head of the house. Mm. So from day one, it's been quite a patriarchal role, which people have picked up and misinterpreted and run with it. So mm. a lot of societies have picked that up and run with it in a misconstrued way, which has led us to where we are at the moment, where women constantly feel, you know, under pressure. But my understanding of that Adam and Eve creation, God wanted Adam to have a companion. He wanted Adam to have somebody that he can, you know, pick their brains with, you know, share ideas with. And he also needed somebody who would be there for him. Because he was in such a role that it's it's such a huge calling. God said you are in charge of everything on this earth. That's a huge, I think it's a huge mandate. Yeah. So God wanted to give him somebody who will be very, very consistent. Somebody who will be very assured in herself why she's here, her role. And that's been misconstrued along the way. And now we have societies where it's incredibly patriarchal and it's leading to women misunderstanding their roles which is leading to the pressures that we are speaking about. I think also like um, the fact that I was saying that women do all, um, we're expected to do a lot. Um, and I think <laughs> when you're expected to do a lot, it, it will come mm. with, it comes with that pressure, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. there's so many things that a woman can do and is expected to do. And I think because of that, the, the pressure just feels like it's never ending, you know? So I think there's, I mean, when you get married, you're now responsible, I say, for the, you know, the bearing of children and stuff. So the, the pressure for women comes a lot. It's not fair. Um, and it comes a lot and I think because we're expected to do a lot of things that's why there's always a lot of pressure on us when some of these things that we're expected to do take tea but I don't know if for some reason you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah okay so what do you guys think women can do to address these issues and to support each other when it comes to being pressured by society um for me from what i professionally from what i know from working in this field one of the things that i want to like anyone who's listening to us tonight or who'll be watching one thing i want us to address is um self-esteem mm -hmm. which you mentioned earlier so in my line of work one of the things i've seen that leads to a lot of issues is self-esteem being an issue and self-esteem is basically your opinion about yourself mm. the opinion that you hold about yourself is your self-esteem so if the opinion that you hold about yourself is negative, that means the foundation is shaking already. Any mm -hmm. negativity that comes your way knocks you down. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage 
everybody who's listening, as females, whoever you are, um, to work on our self-esteem, for us to support each other in building our self-esteem. If you have a friend who's good at something, pick them up. If you have a friend who's struggling with something, help them. Point, point it out to them with the view of supporting them to deal with that issue. Um, it's important that we make each other feel good, not in a fake way, but in a genuine way and help each other to build each other up because society is out to like get you. Let's mm-hmm. give me to say it. So our yeah. self-esteem is very, very important. And I think it's one of the things we need to build on collectively and support each other. Um, because when that's a foundation, when you get a foundation right, going forward, whatever comes your way, you have something on a basic level that you can work with. Mm. Um, if somebody makes a comment about your look, you know that the opinion that you hold about yourself is positive. So mm-hmm. you know that that opinion that that person is sharing is subjective. So self-esteem for me is very, very important. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a big one. Um, and I think to add to that, speak to the right people. I think sometimes as, you know, as females, we tend to kind of hold things in, not want to speak about it. Um, but if you're speaking to the right people, rest, be rest assured that obviously you'll receive the right support and the right advice. So I think uh, um, anyone listening, please, please do find um, the right people that you can speak to, that you can trust. And you know that going to them and speaking to them um, is going to do you good because they're going to give you advice that will be able to help you and be able to support you. Don't mm-hmm. Don't stay silent. I think it just it will just eat you up really um and the mind is a powerful place a powerful powerful place um by saying silent it's just think things are just going on in your mind and this is when obviously it leads to bigger issues so definitely find someone that you trust that you can speak to about any issues that you're going through so let's say someone is has um is mentally not stable how can they know that they're not mentally stable or if someone closer to you is not how can you tell? What are the signs? Well, let's talk about what's stable first of all. So mm-hmm. mental health is basically how you interact with the outside world, mm-hmm. how you interact with yourself, how you understand the world around you, how you understand yourself, and the interactions amongst all these things being on a healthy level and helping you to function on a daily basis and helping you to make a meaningful contribution to your own life and your community. So the key words are healthy interaction, being able to daily functioning, mm-hmm. um, making a meaningful contribution to your life and the community belonging. So somebody who has a good mental health is able to maybe go to school, have good friends, able to go to maybe netball um, training after school, um, goes to church, um, is able to look after themselves, get up, eat every day, look after themselves, change their clothes, shower, um, be able to do things that they love for themselves, be able to make a contribution to their community. Maybe they play, I don't know, a keyboard at church or they volunteer at the Oxfam or something. So all of these keywords, functioning, interaction, uh, meaningful productivity, and all of these things, is mental health. When we come to somebody not doing so well or being unstable, it basically means that whatever the person is going through, they present in a way that their daily functioning may be affected. So mm-hmm. maybe they're not going to school as often. They're making excuses. They're not looking after themselves as they used to. 
Mm-hmm. They stop maybe going to the track that they used to go to. They don't find it enjoyable anymore. Um, they stop going to that network lessons because they don't find it enjoyable anymore. They're spending more time being isolated, withdrawn. Um, this I'm just giving basic symptoms. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the specific mental health, there's other deeper symptoms as well. Okay. But basically, when on a general level, when somebody's mental health is affected, they become withdrawn. They, their daily functioning becomes affected. Okay. Their social interaction becomes affected. Their interaction and their relationship with themselves become affected. Mm-hmm. And there's this general feeling of losing control towards the, the cycle of the kind of the person going downhill. Um, from what she's even explaining, I think we know ourselves. Um, and I, I know that's a bit of a vague, you know, <laughs> way to put it, but it's like, you know yourself. So sometimes, you know, like she said, you're doing things, you're getting on with daily life. But when you start to see that there's certain things that you are not able to do anymore, or um, like she mentioned, especially withdrawing a lot from being around people, or you find that, you know, your mind is playing away with itself. These th- thoughts are coming into your head and um, it's, it's overtaking you kind of thing. I think those are some signs that I can mention. Maybe loss of sleep not being able to sleep properly not being able to wake up um like yeah finding it really hard to just get up and go and and do what you you you've been doing so i think that's yeah what like what she said basically yeah um, i like how you said sometimes being able to just get up and go okay so obviously most of us we are lucky enough to just be able to get up and go and yeah. the key word here is just get up and go just you know it sounds so easy simple yeah exactly if somebody's struggling with their mental health trust you me the word just it's not in their it's not in their yeah. vocabulary nothing yeah. is just nothing is just everything takes monumental energy to mm. do everything takes monumental effort to do and for example when it comes to and a mental illness like depression so there's a classical symptom that a person maybe withdraws, doesn't eat, doesn't go to work, doesn't go to school, loses enjoyment. The other side of depression is that you can have somebody who's not sleeping a lot or somebody who's sleeping too much, mm-hmm. somebody who's not eating enough, somebody who's eating too much, somebody who's not thinking at all, somebody who's thinking too much. So it presents so differently and so complex that we need to understand the person to be able to like make a proper like diagnosis. So the word just when it comes to mental health, it's a huge, huge word that um, it's easier said than done. I think. Mm, okay. I think you just mentioned that some of the symptoms may be that someone might sleep too much. Um, what's the difference? Because some people like just like to sleep. Okay. So how can I tell that this person just likes to sleep <laughs> or they have a problem? Yeah. <laughs> I think that also is, you have to remember that it's not just one thing. Um, mm. it will, it will be something that comes with other things. So the, the sleeping too much might come with a loss of appetite or, okay. um, this, you, you see, yeah. So it's, it's important not to just take one thing and say, Oh, because of that. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Look at it as a whole and look at your, look at, like I said, look at your life as a whole and maybe see, like I said, you know, you know, we know ourselves so see you know where things are going wrong and more than one element and then yeah and like I said that's why it's important to seek help because some of these things we might think is normal or it's just you know oh maybe that's that's just changed but actually there could be a deeper root so when you feel within yourself that something isn't right 
it's important, you know, that you, you know, easier said than done because some people might not even feel like mm-hmm. something's wrong with them. That's that's mm-hmm. another issue. Yeah. Some people yeah. do not have a clue that anything is wrong with them. It to them it's just changed, you know, or yeah. So it's it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one. Um, do you guys think that there's much um awareness when it comes to different mental health issues? Um, so we have bipolar disorder, we have um, women that go into depression after giving birth. Do you guys think there's much awareness, especially in our African community? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. But no. funnily enough, I was thinking about this and I was saying that I would say that if you asked me this maybe five years ago, or maybe when I was in uni, a couple of years ago when I was in uni, it was like, not a couple, but yeah, <laughs> when I was in uni, <laughs> I would have said um, no straight away. I think now I see it a bit more than before. Yeah. We're not where we need to be, but I definitely yeah. say that there's it's slowly rising. Um, it's slowly rising, so awareness is slowly getting there. There's still a lot more we need to do, but I can definitely say it was better than maybe five years ago or like yeah, because before, if you asked me this, I would have said no straight away. Like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of issues that have been going on, and there hasn't been any awareness back before. I'd say now we're seeing a bit more. We definitely need to work on it more, but we're seeing we're seeing a bit more awareness, which is good. I agree with you, yeah. certainly. Um, I live in Scotland, so um, England, let's say the rest of the UK moves at like hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. We move at like maybe sixty miles an hour in like in terms of progress, and, and it's, it's just by nature of our population size and everything. So um, things we are a bit slower, but I have certainly seen a, a, a slow improvement in that area. Mm-hmm. And especially during COVID nineteen, I know that obviously the black and ethnic minority communities were very much affected by COVID. I think mm-hmm. they were dying more statistically, and yeah. they were being infected more statistically by nature yeah. of the jobs that they do. Mm-hmm. They come in contact with people more, and so they were being infect- infected more. So there was a huge drive to look into our community to see what is going on and support us mental health wise, and a lot's been done yeah and we've got a long way to go and it's good that at least we're having these kind of conversations to Mm -hmm. raise awareness and especially when it comes to postnatal depression it's Mm. you know even on the grand scheme of things it's one of the most little known about mental health issues Mm. and when you narrow it down to the black communities it's even harder to um spot it because culturally um we come from a society where when a mother gives birth everybody's fussing about the baby mm. so when she was pregnant they'll ask oh how are you doing have you eaten today how's the baby did the baby kick today and they're like mm. yeah yeah and once the baby is born when they phone they'll be like oh how's the baby not you like mm-hmm. never mind you how so that that is a huge difference shifting from asking how you were both doing when you were pregnant to asking how is the baby when postnatal. <laughs> And forgetting that she's also a human being who has been through mm-hmm. such a huge change. So as a community, we have a long way to go to educate our people about these things. Um, but I believe that little by little, we are, we are making some progress. Okay. And do you guys think that people, especially African people, believe in therapy as a way to help your mental health? <laughs> 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 this is where my first, I, yeah. I think 
that there's a big issue with um, therapy. Yeah, definitely. There's a there's a big issue with it. Um, you know, uh, if growing up, like if those issues and stuff, it's always like, don't go and tell anybody. Like, keep you know, you have to keep quiet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and obviously the whole point of therapy is talking to somebody and actually letting them know how you feel and releasing you know that <laughs> everything you feel and just <laughs> discussing that in the open and we've always been told to be quiet <laughs> so um the answer is no I don't really think they do <laughs> I I don't think uh I don't think they do um I think some people might be coming around to the idea of it well I hope they are maybe our generation if we you know put it that way um mm-hmm. our generation I think are understanding it more I've seen a lot of young people in in my generation that are um are now openly saying you know I have a therapist or openly asking for um a therapist you know so I think in our generation now we're seeing the importance of it and um the need for it but I think if we're talking about like our parents generation then it's still a, a touchy subject and a kind of a no-go area there yeah yeah I think just to add to that um in my line of work at the moment I work in university one of the universities in Scotland doing mental health um support for the students and I, I always think it's such a huge university and yet I don't see any black people come to me. Most of the students, yeah. are, I think I only had, I only had like one black person. I was like, surely not. Like there's so many of you here. Um, mm. But it goes back to this whole idea of our perception of it. And I think when you look at our parents' generation and you compare it to our yeah. generation, our parents' generation come from, a generation where everything was quite collectivistic so they did everything together if you had a problem you took it to your friend your auntie your mother your dad they all sat down discussed it and helped you with it so they come from a very collective society where everything is solved within the community you don't take it outside yes and therapy <laughs> is viewed as being taking your problem outside okay and yeah. these people have gone on to have children who live in a society that's very individualistic, which is us. So there's a conflict of interest there, whereby our parents want us to bring our problems home and dis- discuss yeah. it like the way they used to do it when they were younger. But we yeah. are like, that's not what we've learned. We want to, we are very individualistic. So we want to take it outside. We want to take it to somebody where we can have a one-to-one because that's all we know. That's all we've grown up in. Mm-hmm. So that conflict of interest can be quite problematic in our community whereby um, they see therapy as the the enemy in the room or the elephant in the room that is not as good as what they used to do. And that's where the education needs to happen where we need to have a a discussion about therapy, going to therapy does not mean that what you were used to do is not any good. It's a different approach. It's a different setup. But it's, it's basically the same thing. And... That was part of my reason why I did my MSc in global mental health, where we want to understand how to merge the culture and current evidence to find mm. a, like a middle ground that works for both cultures. So that, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to take CBT, for example, how can we make CBT culturally sensitive for our maybe African communities who maybe they are used to collective, you know, collectivist approach? So maybe we have a group therapy. Okay, so we get a group of them and then we do the CBT with them rather than taking one-to-one, which our, our parents are not used to. Um, so how about we bring a group of women who are depressed together and we do CBT with them? It will probably have a better impact than taking them one-to-one. And I think 
if a young person is listening to us, they need to understand that um, our parents come from that different cultural approach and we are in a different cultural approach. So there needs to be that understanding on both sides that, you know, what works for you may not necessarily be working for us because we are in a different culture, effectively. I, I think I hear a lot of people saying um, black people don't go to therapy. Why do you think there's that kind of thing that people say? Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, so I, I think I hear a lot of people saying um, black people don't go to therapy. Why do you think there's that kind of, you know, thing that people say out there, that kind of perception towards therapy here? Yeah. I think because we think there's a bigger, um, we have bigger problems to do with than therapy. Okay, okay so... <laughs> We often think that oh, we need to deal with that racism. Like, let me deal with that racism before I think about my depression or my anxiety, or I think about what is causing my depression or my anxiety. But they don't realize that indirectly, that racism could be having an effect on their anxiety. So maybe going to somebody to talk about it might help. So there's that perception, and also mm -hmm. there's the issue of um, what I call mutual distrust. So yeah. the person giving the service, we don't trust them and they don't trust yeah. us. So, you know, because of line of, we've got history of discrimination, <laughs> history of racism, yeah. history of um, prejudice and things. So as a black community, that mutual distrust, let's be honest, is there. So we need to dismantle that mutual distrust of, you don't know what they're going to do to you in there and therefore you won't go. Like... And that's why I think we need more people in these areas. Like, for example, I'm in mental health. You know, um, Shinta was in social work, now she's in education. So we need our people in these places so that our own people will be like, oh, okay. So it is okay to go to these people. Our own people are working in these places, so they must be doing something right. Um, okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. Okay. So... Let me put this in a scenario so that it's easier. So let's say I know I have a mental issue, a mental illness, and I need help. However, I'm afraid of people's judgment, especially being black, being African. I'm afraid of what people in our community are going to say about me. So how can I overcome this kind of barrier that I have? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think it all comes in the, the mindset, really. Because, um, yes, you have that, and yes, people are gonna be people may think XYZ, but we need to come to a place where, um, we don't really care what people think, and and unfortunately, that is very hard to say for somebody that's already struggling with uh mental illness. Um, but it's needed for everyone, really. We need to come to that place because you receiving that support, that support is going to help you far more than thinking about what people were thinking, not receiving that support. Um, it's just that obviously, this is a difficult thing and a, a hard thing for someone that's already got. Um, mental health issues to kind of come to terms with um it's it's really difficult um and it's, it's a difficult scenario really because yeah. i don't know what else i can say other than obviously not thinking about what people think but then yeah. that's a hard thing honest yeah. to actually realize that you shouldn't care what people think because obviously some of um some of the challenges that they're facing could stem from you know those issues that they're facing with what people think um so it's it's, it's a difficult one unfortunately and mm. maybe here is may not 
be the best but that's all I can really say right yeah. now yeah. yeah okay so as a Christian person how can you balance between seeking for help from in terms of therapy and talking to God about what your problem might be how can I balance the two and benefit from the two I think first and foremost as a Christian remember that you are God's child God created you for a purpose. He created you. There's only one of you on this earth. Okay, remember that. God created you uniquely for a purpose. So you need to remember that, first of all. And second of all, God himself, the creator, told you that you can do all things through him who strengthens you. And as, as cliche as that might sound, it is true. You can do all things through him who strengthens you. So when we have that understanding, then the, the next thing to remember is that he created you, you are flesh. So as a flesh, you need, you have fleshly problems. You have fleshly issues. Um, you have a spirit. God put a spirit in you and you need to feed that spirit. You need to feed that flesh. Okay. And both of them may pose problems. So for example, if you're a Christian who's struggling with mental health, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. okay. The same way that as Christians, we don't bat an eyelid when somebody say they have a headache. Do we bat an eyelid? I, I don't think we do. We encourage the person, oh, drink water, have more sleep, take paracetamol. So if we believe that there's a physical element of the body, why don't we believe that there's, you know, a mental element to the body where we can struggle? So there's no problem in having a mental health issue. But as way of dealing with it, remember that one, um, pray about it. Believe your faith that you can be healed. And also believe that through you seeking professional help or seeking therapy or medication or counseling can be a medium that God can use to heal you. Okay. Mm. The same way you take the paracetamol and you pray that God will use the paracetamol to get rid of your headache. It's the mm. same principle will apply to mental health. That I'm going to take that antidepressant and pray that God will use the medium of the antidepressant to heal me. Okay. For example, if we take blessings, God does not bless somebody with an empty hand. God blesses what's in your hand. He multiplies what's in your hand. So God uses the medium of what we have around us to to do his work. So if you have a mental health issue, seek help. And through that, have the belief that God can use that medium of help to help you get through it. And this is where the stigma comes in, where our community, we think that seeking help is a way of being... Um, it's faulty or that there's something wrong with you or you don't believe God can heal you. I believe God can heal me. But if I need to take the antidepressant and pray about it, definitely we do. That's what we encourage. And we call that medical pluralism where you pray about your depression, for example, and you take the antidepressant and you believe that God will heal you through the prayers and the antidepressant. And there's nothing wrong with that. You go to counseling and you pray to God. God can use some of the counseling support that you learn through prayers to help you. So I think we should combine the two and not see it as a as, as an issue. The same way that we don't bat an eyelid with somebody taking paracetamol for a headache and praise about it. Just to add, I think um like our sister mentioned, you know, um the the help, the, the, the way that she kept saying was about help. And I think as Christians, we know that our help is God and our help comes from God. And I believe that we're being faced with this issue. Our first point of call 
contact or call is God and we should believe that you know when we run to him about these issues when we go to him about these issues he will provide the help the help may very well be in the form of getting counseling getting therapy um taking medication and uh, so and so yes God is your first point of contact and when you go to him be assured that whatever help he will give you from there is going to help you because it's come from him so I think it's just important that you make God your first point of call and then you follow um his prompting and his leadings in terms of it don't see it as um I, can't, I shouldn't get therapy because it's not going to help me actually that might be the very help that god um has prepared for you to get to you know solve the issue and yeah so what are the different um therapeutic um options available so counseling and different kind of therapies available and how do you assess this different options yeah i'll just say it's more i think you'll be able to touch on that more because um of your your field work yeah (laughs) but for me i'll just say obviously in the schools um if i'm looking at younger people that in schools i know um in the school that i work at we have like a pastoral support team um that's able to support so we have like behavior mentors we have counselors in our school we even have and we're fortunate to have an in-school social worker as well um so there's that support available to people um mentoring is quite good i mean i I've done it and I'm not just being biased because I've done it but it was quite good um, and <laughs> being able to have someone that you can kind of talk to about these issues and getting practical advice and support on how to move forward in these issues as well and obviously I know counselling is quite helpful as well we also refer out as well to other counsellors and other support services that are available too we um in the school we do like group sessions and we run like workshop sessions to to be able to support people that you know have um mental health illnesses or mental health issues as well so um from from uh, like a perspective of maybe someone that is in school at the moment or someone that is in college or even at university level i think um i think our sister comfort can touch on that more but i know that there is you know this support that is available in terms of mentoring and counseling that you can seek so if you are having a, any of these issues please please do speak to you know anybody at school your partial support team your head of year and see what your school can kind of do to support you um moving forward okay Thank you. Um, when it comes to, for example, if, if a listener is in university or college, there is um, a health service in universities and colleges that have been set up for students and everybody can access it. And I'm saying that now because I know a lot of, <laughs> since I've been doing this um, education job, a lot of my friends didn't know there was um, health services in universities or colleges. Like, half of them didn't know so i'm i'm encouraging people if you're struggling mental health wise there is a service in your universities and colleges that are there they may not advertise it but trust me they are there mm-hmm. ask your teacher and in that service there'll be a counselor um there'll be a, like a mental health mentor um there'll be a mental health workout and general um health practitioner so that's the setup for universities if you are just a normal person no no that's not right um somebody <laughs> uh on the general in the grand scheme of things if you're struggling with your mental health the, your first point of contact is your gp and then your gp will refer you to a community mental health team okay and that, so your gp is like your primary contact and then when they refer you to the community mental health team that's the secondary care and in that community mental health team, there are counselors and psychologists who can work with you looking at your problems from the perspective of why we are where we are yeah. and what are some of the things that have driven us to be where we are. 
and how can we use some psychological therapies like cognitive behavior therapy, mm-hmm. which is cognitive behavior therapy looks at your cognition, how you think, and how how you think affects how you behave. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how can we look at the way you think and how you behave, and switch it to be a healthy alternative? So cognitive behavior therapy is there, and then we've got psychotherapy, which looks at your psychological way of doing things and thinking to get you to change your psychological way of thinking to a healthy way of thinking mm-hmm. and which is supposed to have a positive impact. And then we have like general counseling where they look at the way you do things and try and help you to have healthy alternatives um, to do with that. And then we have mental health nurses who work with you from day-to-day activities and helping you with daily functioning medication and things and then there's a psychiatrist as well who are the medical kind of holding everything together mm. and we have other voluntary sectors who offer mental health um support to to young people mm. and adults as well so first point of contact your gp um reach out and don't feel you know you are any less than anybody you are equally important just like anybody else, to seek that help. Mm. I think when there's this wrong um, perception when it comes to counselling, for example, I think people tend to think that it's not it's not good enough um, due to the fact that it's free. So when you go to university, it's free. When you go to the GP, it's free. And so they don't think you get the quality of service that you would get if you were to go to a psychologist that you have to pay for. Um, so how untrue is this? Because I, I'm not going to lie, I used to think the same, to actually try counselling, because I think that it's not going to be any good. Um, because I first tried, and it wasn't good, not like, you know, I was right on this. And I tried again, um, yeah, because I needed it. And then I actually realised that it's actually really good. So it really depends on the person. So how untrue is this thing that people sometimes you might find that you don't really connect with maybe that counsellor or that person that you've been given so I think sometimes it also comes with finding the person that you can kind of connect with and be open with on that level as well and just me saying be open comes to mind in terms of these things require you to be open in counselling it requires you to open up and be able to speak about that so if you're also not ready or you're not able to do that it will limit the the effectiveness of you know the service you're receiving but i think to say that it's free so you know <laughs> i can understand how people have that perception but i think that no yeah they've been they've been trained to be able to provide that so i don't think that and we can say because it's free you know it's not going to be good because they've definitely received a level of um training to be able to provide that sometimes maybe the person isn't just for you and that's not a bad thing it's just um a case of you finding that person that obviously you can you can be open with i mean in my line of work i Obviously, it wasn't um, counselling, it was mentoring, but I'd have children that would come and we just, it, it just wasn't working and it's because maybe they don't really take to me and that's fine, you know, um, breathe me a little bit. But, <laughs> but you know, I soon realised that, you know, it is, everyone's different, you know, so yeah. um, you, there's some people that you'll take to and some people you won't. So if maybe it's not working, maybe see if you can get another one and uh, until you find that person that you can kind of connect with and be willing to be open. I think the counselling, if you're not open, it, it's not going to be effective for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, 
I, I can t I couldn't tell you how many times um, students have said they don't want to work with me anymore. I don't take it personal. So if the person that you've been, if you've been allocated, you feel you're not connecting with, you can always ask for a change. Um, but as Shuita said, first of all, try and work out, is it something to do with you rather than the person? Um, is it just because you're not being open enough? That's why it's not working. And be genuine with yourself. And if it's genuinely, there's just not a click, you know, a connection there, then you can always ask for a change or you can always go private, you know. Mm -hmm. So that perception that it's free, it's probably because it sounds like it's too good to be true, but it is it, it is effective. And I believe that you you gain as much out of it as you put in mm -hmm. as well. Okay. Do you guys think that therapy is portrayed in, um, in an accurate manner on TV and in movies? And because I think people, what they see is what they expect um, when they come in. And so when it doesn't match, then it's like, okay, there's something not going well here. So do you guys think it's portrayed properly or is wrong? <laughs> Uh, what what kind think, of portrayals do we have out there in the in, in the well, you know, I think most of the time it's um with a psychologist. So the people go to the psychologist or couple therapy mm -hmm. are the kind of things that we see in movies and in series. Um mm -hmm. so they go there and we'll be talking. I don't see much counseling. I think it's more with a psychologist and a yeah. psychiatrist is what is seen most of the time. And I think because it's movie and series, they want to make it very there's a lot of drama and you know <laughs> so so how true, I mean, what what did they get right and what did they get wrong? It's, it's hard for me to speak from that perspective because I've never um, done therapy or been a therapist. Um, but I can say that we, let's not rely on movies to give us like, the true <laughs> depiction of what things are because like we know we know how movies are. We know how they can, you know, um, they're doing things to sell. You know, they're doing it so you can watch it. So, of course, it's going to be over-dramatised and maybe exaggerated and not completely accurate in some, in some places. So I think, like I said, really going with the open mind. One thing I know is that to be able to access any support, be it mentoring, be it counselling, be it um, therapy, you need to be willing to be open um you obviously will be asked questions yeah. and um in some cases obviously with mentoring advice can be given counseling um not always i think more is more about them asking you questions and kind of getting you to open up about your um your issues and stuff but i think if you go knowing that obviously this is a time for you to be open i think that's the main thing i can't really talk too much on what i see but i know that um like i said a lot of things are um in movies are done to obviously sell and done to obviously make you watch it so i think one thing anybody that is looking to seek um support from a therapist a counselor or a mentor a mentor sorry um just know that you have to be willing to actually speak and be willing to discuss um issues and also know that um once you start that session, I mean, there's no harm in also saying, okay, I'm, I want to stop now and I, 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 I think this is enough for today because the talking is a lot sometimes and um, sometimes mm -hmm. you just want to stop and that's fine and even with mentoring where um, I, I've given advice, sometimes they come in and I can tell that depending on the person, I could tell that, okay, this is not, uh, you don't really want me to talk, you just want me to listen, and I'll just listen to you, and when when you feel like it's enough, you can say, you know, it's an, um, I want to stop now, or and, and that's fine, we can, we can pick it up another day, so don't feel the pressure that, you know, when you get to that session, you have to say everything all in that one day, I think one thing we see on, on TV is, you know, they're talking, uh, saying the whole issue in that one sitting, and that's not the case, some of these things... <laughs> Yeah. Some of these things you have sessions, you know, you have pre book 
sessions that you have or it's for x amount yeah. of time so don't yeah. feel like the first day is a day where you have to now say everything no it's, it's not like that you say what you want or when you feel like saying and then when you come back again you, you you say the rest so you can take your time with it it's not like um there and then i have to say everything that's on my mind yeah 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 and just just to add to that i think obviously as you said the movies oftentimes they simplify things um mm-hmm. just to be, streamline it and get it over and done with when in reality it takes maybe sometimes a couple of sessions sometimes somebody might just need one session mm-hmm. um I, in my line of work we, we book like five sessions we pre-book five sessions and then after then the fifth one we decide we need more or is the five okay so um and they do that because they know that um, research has shown that on average people need more than one you know more than two more than three so it's not as simple as going to one and then oh problem solved um and also we need to remember that it's it's a very intimate and very uncomfortable um place to be because you are being vulnerable with the person so there needs to be that trust with the person and i always say to my students that if you want us to stop at any point just let me know I will mm-hmm. take it personal because I know that you are sharing something with me that's deeply personal to you. Um, and I always, I always remind them of that, that we can stop as Shuita says at any point mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's your, your, your day. And I know that this um, image of mm-hmm. the patient lying on the sofa and the, <laughs> the psychologist yeah. scribbling away. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I think even just to add as well, sometimes um, sometimes you think that um, you do one session and you're like, oh, this is not for me, you know, mm-hmm. and you've only just done that yep. one session, you don't even give you're not giving it a full a full yeah. chance you know um so don't just go to one and just say oh it's not for me but actually take your time you know yeah. um like comfort at a place five so maybe do the whole five and see how how um you feel after that you know like go through the the process don't just go to one and say it's not for me because maybe mm-hmm. that one session didn't go how you thought it was going to go or yeah so when you've had that one session really think about it and maybe just take time to go for the rest to kind of get the full the full feel mm-hmm. of it yeah 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 i know i said there was the problem yeah i know i said it was the last question but i have one last one um so when it comes to finding a solution to what the problem is is it up to the psychologist mental health um worker or it's about the person finding their own solution like you know in movies i think most of the time you see the psychologists going into trying to make you know try to find what the problem is from the person past or some, you know, this this weird thing when it comes to movies. So in real life, is it up to the psychologist? Is it up to you yourself to find a solution? Um, From, I'm I'm not a psychologist, but being from Mm -hmm. a mental health nurse, I I can just share from what I know. I think oftentimes in my sessions, I say to students, um, I'm not here to help you. Okay. I'm here to help you to help yourself because there'll come a point where I'm not in the picture and you should be able to function at a healthy level for you. I'm here to help you to help yourself. So in that journey, we're going to try and find out how best to help you to help yourself. 
So I tend for my a mental health nurse, I tend to focus a lot on the how do we do this? Okay, the how do we practically overcome this? For us, the, the psychologists and the counselors focus on the why we are where we are. So they dig they tend to dig a bit deeper. Yeah. Because research has shown that um you know our our background from childhood it has an influence on us throughout our adult life. Yeah. And we have what we call adverse childhood experiences which is what we call the ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, whereby whatever you've been through as a child, it goes on to have an effect on you as an adult. Mm. So if you've had a positive childhood, it means adult-wise, you probably have a good adult life. If you've had a, a difficult childhood, chances are it won't affect you. Mm. So they tend to use that perspective to try and understand your life up to this point and try and pinpoint maybe there are certain places. And sometimes you don't even realize that these things have an effect on you, to be mm. honest. Mm. You don't even know it yourself till you sit down and you break it down. You're like, oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> you know. So oftentimes, as uncomfortable as it is, they try and work their way back, almost like a process of elimination, really to try and help you identify maybe there's something in the picture, in the background, the elephant in the room that's affecting your life. How do we identify it and try and help you to face the elephant in the room going forward? And that's very uncomfortable because no one wants to like identify the elephant in the room. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what makes the relationship and the sessions difficult yeah. for people to engage. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was the last question um thank you guys for coming it has been really really interesting i've learned a lot myself so yeah we're gonna end it here